You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today. So the the strong, stable ground is self-love. And that's as simple as believing that you're capable and believing that you deserve. So if you're going to go and pursue a better life, it's really hard to do if you don't think you can actually achieve it and if you don't think you're deserving of it, because then all the self-sabotage comes in. So I work with people a lot on how to get more. Um, and I know like some people get squeamish with the term self-love. You call it whatever you want, but that's what it is. Like having compassion for yourself and recognizing your capability and your deserving of a better life. That was Brian Falchuk, author of the best-selling book, Do A Day, a book that shows readers how to learn how to make each day contribute to the life they want to live. He joins me today to discuss how his transformation from being obese and depressed to a marathon-running, top-achieving executive gave him the insights to write Do A Day. We also dive deep into how changing externally doesn't always lead to internal change, as well as whether grit or motivation is more important when it comes to personal transformation. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, and I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Brian, thanks so much for joining me today. I really enjoy your story. I, I enjoy stories of transformation to start with, but you've got such a radical transformation uh, transformation here that I know a lot of our audience gets stuck with. So thanks for you know joining us and telling us about that and telling us how you got through it. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. And uh, when you're saying radical, I was like, oh, it wasn't that much, but it's a lot of things. Like there are a few that are big, but there's several of them. So I guess if you add it up, radical is okay. I'll allow it. Yeah, I mean, and so that's the interesting thing, right? Because we expect when we go through, we expect in ways to change our life that there's just one thing that you do. Yeah. And then it has that no effect. Way. But actually, it's this conjoined things that when you look back, say, like, if you were to look at where you are today versus, say, yeah. four years ago, radical change. Radical right? change. And and uh, I don't believe in changing one thing. Like I I would say when people come to me for coaching and they're like, this is what I want to work on. And it's, you know, it's like, it's their weight or it's their career or, you know, it's, it's one thing. And I never push back on them, but I take it as a gateway drug. I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. But FYI, your whole life's going to change if this is going to be real. Otherwise it's not going to stick. Yeah. And I think we're going to get into why, why that's the case a little bit. So, yeah. so go ahead and tell us about the change since we've alluded to it and, and how you got started with this work. Yeah. So, um, my, my backstory in a nutshell is I was the fat kid, like, you know, obesity growing up I was about a hundred pounds overweight. It wasn't because of my eating and non-movement, which were both existent in, in excess, um, excessive non-movement, if that makes a sense and excessive eating. Um, but my parents got divorced real early on, like a lot of kids face in this country. And, um, you know, that just triggered, uh, anxiety, depression, needing to have comfort and, and control. And I didn't have those things. I was like five. So, you know, I, I couldn't provide that for myself and my parents weren't in a position to do it either. So I turned to food. I lost weight late teens, but I never dealt with the underlying. So that's a like fix one thing, but it's going to come back and haunt you. So I lost hundred pounds. I put back on 45 of it kind of slowly, but surely into my twenties, um, married, had a kid. Uh, my wife had a kid, not me. And, uh, I know that sounds weird. That was with me. So, uh, before I, I get in trouble for miss saying that, um, anyway, I, I was 32. My son was two years old. Um, it was the summer of 2011, 45 pounds back on, uh, it was 222 exactly. And about 20% body fat. And I had lower back pain. I had back surgery. I was in a job that was getting increasingly bad. It started off great founder passed away, new leadership in there. It became pretty political and that's just not me. Um, and a lot of the things from the divorce reared their head because I didn't deal with them as a little kid. Cause like five-year-olds aren't really that in touch with their emotions. My mother ended up getting divorced again when I was in my twenties and that brought all of it to the surface for me, like the original divorce from my dad. Um, so I was just kind of miserable. Like I was miserable for myself. I was miserable to be with. I would say like my wife and son were the family and I was that crabby guy who worked there which is just not a great way to live. Um, 
but so that summer, my wife has a chronic illness that we didn't know about and it reared its head then. And, um, it looked like it was going to take her life. Like she was wasting away. Um, she'd become bedridden and my son was watching all this. And, uh, I got off the phone with her doctor who was going on vacation, who was basically giving up on her. He's like, yeah, I'm going to be gone for six weeks. Let's talk when I'm back. And I'm like, she's losing two pounds a day. She's not going to be here in six weeks. And all he had to say was, okay, we'll take her to the ER if you need to. Okay, thanks. Bye. And um, that's when everything hit me. And that was this big, that was a, a radical moment of transformation for me. That was June 30th, 2011. I walked back into our bedroom. My son is looking at his mother, basically watching her die. And I, I will say she's still alive. Um, and, you know, he turned around and looked at me. And I'm like, and now he's just watching his father die just at a slower rate. And I'm not the father he deserves or needs. And um, I wrote a lot in the book about him being my motivation. And, and I, I came out of that moment with intense feelings about my role as his father. But the reality is that's still a little too surface level. It's actually about me and the life I'm living and the kind of father I want to be and the kind of human I want to be. And I'm just, I'm not doing any of that. And as a result, I'm physically miserable. I'm professionally miserable. I'm miserable around the house. Probably not a great friend. I'm certainly not a great brother or something like any of it. Um, but I'm just ultimately failing myself. And those are moments where you have extreme clarity and you can do one of two things. You can notice it and be like, okay, I'm going to go back to whatever mindless crap I'm doing with my life, or I'm going to grab hold of it. And I chose to grab hold because I knew a, this is really different and B, this is probably the last shot I'm going to get to really transform. Um, and I, I don't want to go through this again. So July 1st, 2011, it's a date I'll never forget. I woke up feeling totally different and I did totally different. So I got in the elliptical like I did every morning for another mindless exercise and I decided I wasn't going to do it mindlessly. I was going to put on an interval program and, you know, pump the resistance up. And when the intervals hit, I was going to hit back. Um, and it was awesome. I was exhausted and sweaty, but smiling. And I'm like, I'm 222. I weighed myself right after that. I want to get to 185 by the end of the year. That's probably where I should be. I'd gotten down to like 188 before, so I knew I was sort of in the ballpark, but maybe I had a little bit more to lose. Um, and I was like, there's more I need to change. And I recognized three strong things that were wrong in my life that were like, I got to get these problems, like these cracks in the foundation fixed if I want to move on. So the weight was one. So that was a specific goal. It was like end of the year, 185, you know, it's about 40 pounds. Um, the job situation I mentioned I need to start planting the seeds to get out of here. And I can't just quit. I'm the only one earning money. You know, I got the, my wife's got all these medical bills and, and I don't know what's going to happen there. So I can't just like walk off the job, but I need to start networking. I need to start thinking about what I actually want to do and, and that kind of stuff. So I'm going to start taking actions on that. And the last thing was all that baggage that I was carrying forward from my childhood that I never dealt with. And I had every excuse in the book of why I can't go talk to someone. I'm too busy can't afford it, you know, whatever. I, I had, I had them all. Um, I, I went and talked to my wife. I was like, look, I, she'd been hounding me to do it. I was like, I, I'm going to go like, we, we got to figure out. And of course now it's even harder because she can't take care of our son at the moment. Um, she's like, we'll figure it out. And we did. Uh, so those were three key things that I was like, fix these and move on. And then things are going to be different in my life. Um, now we'll say I didn't hit my weight goal. So that was July 1st, end of the year was 185. I actually got there in October. So I, I got ahead of the goal and I got to 180 by the end of the year. And I've been 180, give or take a couple pounds, basically since then. So, you know, seven plus years now or seven years, something like that. Um, and I don't like, I don't have to work at it. This is who I am. I'm healthy and I'm fit and I don't exercise to lose weight or maintain weight. I exercise because I enjoy it. You know, it's just everything since then has been markedly different. So that's, that's my transformation. And it was all in that moment where I just got the clarity of that purpose, you know? Yeah. Well, it's unfortunate sometimes that we need a breakdown before we can have that breakthrough. Right. And, and we, some of us, yeah. Yeah. Some, well, a lot of us, it turns out. Right. And I mean, we do see that we can learn vicariously through other people like, Oh, like Brian's going through this thing. So, because I don't want to do that. So I should do X, but that tends not to have the motivational power for you to get, you know, get get in there and and solve the deep root causes that are leading to certain things in your life. You like gotta feel it. You gotta go through that yourself before you just finally say enough, right? Enough yeah. today. Like, 
Yeah, I mean, so I think for most people that's true. I think um, the reason is most of us aren't willing to get as introspective and uh, I don't know, like be willing to dig through what's really going on because a lot of times it's too scary or we kind of like the mindlessness. You know, we detach. We like you spend your time like this, just flicking through like the Facebook feed or whatever watching TV without really thinking about it. Um, and you probably aren't going to like a lot of what you see. How many people absolutely love their job or how many people are in that job because they have to be, you know, there, there's things you're going to confront that are going to be uncomfortable and you may have to make some changes if you're going to live in accordance with what you've unearthed. And that, that's a scary thing for a lot of people that sometimes takes that shock and awe kind of wake up, you know, everything's changing. But I, I think I've, I know I've seen people do it without that. Usually it takes some kind of help. You need someone to help push you through that. Well, you need some kind of help or it's, it goes back to the, you know, the five people you spend the most time around, right? And so if you align yourself with some of the right people that are growth oriented, that, you know, are know how you call you out in a way that's supportive. And that's a tricky thing, right? Um, yeah. to, to be able to call someone out in a supportive way um, and re remind them that this is not who you want to be. Like, I know that for a yeah. fact, right? Um, that, yeah. That's a tricky thing. But you know, you can coax that that's one sort of way to think about this guys. Like if, if you're in that spot and you don't want to wait for the breakdown, um, look at your friend, your friend group or your colleagues and say, okay, are they the type of people that are growth oriented that are going to hold me accountable to my own vision of myself? Um, yeah. and fundamentally, and this is some work I, I credit Todd Cashton, even though he and I can't figure out where, where he came up with it, like the research, but you know, we think that true friends are those friends that will be there with you when that will be there with you when you're down. But it turns out not to be the case in the research. Your true friends are the ones that can celebrate and be there with you when you're up, right? Mm. And so it's this counterproductive thing because for some reason in our society, and we don't have to go into it, it's safer for most of us to get with our friends and complain about what's going on. Oh, like, yeah. We can go to support yeah. like, oh, this happened. And I'm not trying to downplay, you know, your, you know, the divorce or your childhood or anything like that. But you're like, oh man, it's all right. Like, you know, that happened to you and things like that. It's, it's harder to be in a friend group if you're the only one to say, you know what, all that's true, Brian. And there's a different choice. Yeah, and. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's a different choice. Here. Yeah. And, and so that's just what we have to look out for. Right. In in those scenarios. And so, yeah. um, Congrats on that too, because I know um, for many of our listeners, and even myself included, like there are a lot of ways I can change my mind and make things happen. But especially when we start talking about exercise and losing weight and things like that, it's not because it's a longer game, right? It's because it's yeah. a longer game. Yeah. It's harder to stick through. So congratulations on um, beating the goal, running the marathon, and making it. And I'm curious though, um, if you had to do an 80-20 sort of analysis of those three things that you, that you yeah. really focused on, which one provided the biggest payoff for you? Uh, it, it was the physical fitness without a doubt. Um, because that, so exercise to me, um, you know, I said, I, I enjoy it. I've come to growth so much through that. Uh, not just being like, I feel better physically. So living in pain every day is not a great way to be. Um, and I feel better about the role model I am for my son. So there's, you know, there's, there's an uplift from that, but then I do my best thinking when I'm out running and I, like, I can't, the first time I called myself a runner, I was in my basement. I was on the phone with someone. There's no one around. And I remember they're like, you know, what do you do for exercise? I was like, Oh, I'm a runner. And then I looked left and I looked right. Like, did someone see me say that? Like, clearly I'm lying. Like, how could I be a runner? I was the fat kid. Um, I love running and it, it's so funny for me to say that, but it's true. And like when I get outside and I go for a run, I work through the tough stuff that's, you know, that's on my mind. I, that's where I came up with the idea for my book and structured the whole thing was on a run. Um, it's just, uh, it's been really, it's been a great source of growth for me. And I think without the fitness and the things it's afforded me, not just physically, um, I, I can still achieve the other stuff. Some of it, not like not the marathon, because that's directly tied to it. Um, but it would have been a lot harder. And I don't know that I would have appreciated it as much because I spent a lot more time reflecting and planning and uh, just valuing it. Like there, there's nothing like getting out for a run at like dawn before the world is up. That's just pristine and beautiful. 
And for everyone who's grumbling at the idea of running, that's fine. Pick a thing that you enjoy, but do it in a way that actually allows you to fully enjoy it. No pain, no punishment. Exercise is not there to make up for something else. Just let it be for what it is. And that's actually really beautiful. Yeah, there's this weird thing. I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to my night owls, too, though, that can't do the morning thing. And I, I appreciate that. But there's do it at to, night. Yeah. yeah, there's there's two times, though, of the day that you don't owe anybody. And this is weird thing culturally, right? You don't owe anybody pre-dawn, right? There's no one that's expecting you to do anything. No one has a claim on your time before, like, say, yeah. eight o'clock in the morning. Right. Um and so there's a pristine time where you can actually feel that with a lot of stuff. But it also turns out that no one typically owes you or you don't owe anyone from like nine to 11, sometimes eight to 11, eight to 11. There's no one that's saying like, you need to do this at this time. You sort of like, OK, we get the next day. So there's these periods of time, right, that, you know, once we we've all sort of socially agreed that from eight to five, you know, across time zones, you should yeah. be presentable. You should be able to be able to be open for a request and things like that. So it creates that. But those pre, yeah. like pre that and way after that, it's yours to choose how you wish. Yeah, I think that's a much better phrase than the dawn thing. I'm a morning person, so I only see the dawn part of it. And I'm kind of falling asleep by the other end of it, which is maybe why people uh, there's no expectations that I'm putting on them because I'm, I'm probably passing out. Um, yeah, it's it's about the separation from the world. It's not about the time of day, per se. And for some people, for whatever your schedule is, maybe that comes midday, maybe it doesn't, like whatever it is, it's about, and, and that's why I, I actually came to like running without music, without my phone, without any of that, which I, I always used to be big time and all those things. Um, because it's like, just let it be for what it is and don't be reachable. Yeah. If you, if you can, you know, obviously like certain situations, but. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're both talking to the sort of macro principle of stealing time. Yeah. Right. Because right. there's, there's like wherever you can steal time where no one actually has like lunchtime, you know, other, other people who, who will encourage people to do exercise is like, you know what? Like you get this free pass at lunch to go out and do something. Right. Yeah. Rather than just going to, um, you know, Chipotle and, you know, sitting there for 45 minutes looking at your phone and, and eating your burrito. Like mm -hmm. maybe only do that for 10 minutes and spend the rest of the time, you know, walking, right? Because no one, yeah. no one has claimed that from you, right? Um, in yeah. fact, they've said, this is your time to not work. All right, use right. it well, you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious because with identity shifts, um, it can take a while for it to really take hold that you're this new person. Um, yeah. How long did it take you to stop associating yourself as the fat kid? That, that is such an interesting question because that was my motivation the first time around is I didn't want to be seen as the fat kid. And that was all about high school because that's how everybody knew me. And actually, I most of my senior year, I wasn't the fat kid. But it's funny, like when I would see people 10 years later, they'd be like, oh, my God, you lost all this weight. I'm like, I weigh 10 pounds more than the last time you saw me. You just wouldn't know because, um, you know, the, the mental framing's there. But what I did was, you know, I went to college. Nobody knew me. And. That was good and bad. It was good because, um, you know, I was finally free of that. It was bad for two reasons. One is my motivation for losing weight, which was not a good enough motivation, was gone. And so, you know, then the ability to start to go in the wrong direction represents itself because I wasn't fixed yet. Um, the other reason why it was bad is I presumed that people were looking at me a certain way. And so I was still the fat kid to all of them. But it was like they were like puppets. Like I was just projecting that on them and then back at me. And these are people didn't, who didn't know me. So I really struggled, you know, meeting girls or whatever, because I just was like, well, obviously, they're not going to be attracted to me. So I was super nervous. I couldn't talk to them. And um, yeah, it was just like I, I was I was the everyone else in that situation. And it took me uh, it actually took me leaving the U.S. I spent a summer in China for like a, a study abroad thing. Um, it took me completely breaking my whole situation and being such a stark difference in terms of who I was relative to everyone else to start to be like, oh, maybe there's something different at play here. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was probably, it probably wasn't seated in my mind until maybe like 24 and I lost weight when I was like 17. So seven years. Um, and I still have parts of me that like I'm happy with myself physically but I can also be pretty self-conscious about it. You know, like is, you know, like a lot of people who are really overweight, my skin is not like, if I took off my shirt, it's not like rock hard abs. 
because I was carrying a lot of weight for a while. So, um, you know, I'm like, oh, is my shirt sitting a weird way so you can see that? Like, you know, I, it's still on my mind. It's still there. That doesn't stop me, whereas it would before. If I go to the beach, I'm not going to pause to take off my shirt. I wish I looked like like underneath I actually am, but I don't, I just don't care anymore. But I'm aware of it. Whereas before, like, I would be wearing a shirt all the time. Or like when I was fat, I used to um, cover up like this and pretend like I'm freezing cold. It's like I went to summer camp in Maine. It was like 104 degrees in pure humidity. It was nasty. And I'm like, oh, it's freezing because I was trying to cover up as much of my upper body as possible because, you know, teenage boys are going to be relentless with name calling. Um, So it took a while to get over. Do you find that there are, aside from the beach time and aside from sort of physical performance times where you collapse back into, for lack of better words, fat Brian, like in the way that you think about things and it's like, cause well, I'll, I'll end it at, do you, do you collapse back into it? Physically, uh, performance wise? No, not well, at mentally all. Um, like that, you know, so there's, there's one thing that sticks with me. Generally the answer is no. Um, the one thing that sticks with me is there was a moment, uh, at that summer camp, uh, there's like a record heat, heat wave. And, uh, we had a, a track meet of all the kids in camp and the counselors thought it'd be really funny to have the fattest kids in camp run against each other. So we had to run, uh, it was an 880 yard dash. Um, if you could call it that it was pretty damn slow. So it was eight laps around this, um, asphalt track we had, and I got around it. Each, each of the eight times, um, I don't remember where I finished. I, I think I finished last, but I really don't know. I mean, I was like eight years, not, no, nine or 10 years old, whatever. Uh, so it was a while ago. I collapsed on the finish line and I woke up in the camp lake being resuscitated because I was like, my core temperature had gotten so hot that it, you know, my body just gave out. Every time, literally every time I go out for a run, there's a piece of anxiety in me still. And I know where it comes from. And I've done, you know, countless 5Ks, I've done a marathon, I've done a bunch of half marathons, I've done century rides, like physically, it's not a problem. Um, But for some reason, there's a piece of me that still holds on to it. Now I'm well aware of it. I don't let it stop me. I know what it is. And I put it down pretty quickly. But usually it's when I'm lacing up my, I just looked at my shoes over there, not that you could see them, but it's when I'm lacing up my shoes. I'm like, oh, there's that feeling whatever, you know, and I, I move past it, but it's still there. It's really interesting that it's still nagging me 30 years later. Yeah. Well, and thanks for sharing that story because again, when you go through some pretty radical transformations, um, whether you were a poor kid and then all of a sudden you're not the poor kid anymore, or you're the fat kid and you're all of a sudden you're not the fat kid or, you know, you're the ugly kid or some of these like terrible names that you end up picking up as kids. Right. Yeah. Um, there will be, you know, a lot of people think that they just get over them at a certain point, but you, you can have triggers and shame points that pull up and all of a sudden, no matter who you are, you're back in that moment, right. Of, you know, feeling shame and feeling sort of guilt and feeling othered in that sort of way. And so yeah. I just want to pull that out that that's a thing folks, like in case you, yeah. you're on that journey. We all have our triggers. And for me, so that that's the one thing from my backstory, from my physical backstory, but actually it's the emotional stuff that led me to be obese. That's where my triggers are more active and I have to do more work to keep them at bay. So I'm, uh, I was talking to someone earlier, like about this today, I'm really values driven. And specifically, if I feel like someone is getting away with something that's like ethically wrong, it really doesn't sit well with me. And I have this very strong desire to need them to be brought to justice. Um, I'm not a cop. I've never been in the military. Like I, you think I would have followed a career that's tied to that, but um, I'd say I feel that way almost to a fault. Um, But I also feel like it's right. Like it's not a bad thing to think doing wrong is bad. So I'm not like, Oh, you know, I'm bad in this way, but um it doesn't need to bother me so much. You know, like I don't need to get as riled up about it. I don't need to pursue them so hard. So that that's, that's the piece that I need to work on. I'm fine with the values behind it. That's a good thing. I'm glad that I don't like when people are, you know, unfaithful to their spouse or, you know, physically harming people or what, like whatever. Um, that's right. But I don't need to feel it so much inside, but I know it's being triggered by things I've experienced and I'm aware of it. You know, I let it I let it be in its place, but I am actively working on how I let that manifest in me. Absolutely. Both in thoughts and in action, because it's not necessarily your job to correct the wrong. Right. 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 Not necessarily. I, I mean, 
Sometimes, yes, but a yeah. lot of times not. <laughs> right. If it's one of my employees, then technically it's my job. But beyond that, yeah. And and we do it. We do these kinds of things with our loved ones too. Is like you know, my wife is not doesn't answer to me if I think she's doing something wrong. Like I'm not there to punish her or hold her responsible. We can talk about it. I can tell her that I, you know I don't like what happened there or whatever. But she doesn't she doesn't answer to me. We're equals, and that that's a really dangerous place to take the other approach. Now she's not an unethical person, so don't generally have to run into that, but. There's certainly things we disagree on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, you know, we have to be careful about how it manifests emotionally, outwardly in our actions, the, the whole nine. Okay, so you've written the book Do A Day. Um, tell us a little bit about what exactly Do A Day is. Um, the book or the philosophy? Because it's, it's how I live my life. Yeah. Um, so the philosophy is there's three building blocks to it, and then it's about execution. And Do A Day itself is the execution piece. Um Two of the three building blocks were in the book when it came out a year ago. I'm relaunching it this this month. Um, it came out in March of 17. So for the one-year anniversary, through this whole talking about it process, I realized there's a pretty big hole in it. Um, it's funny because the hole is what I'm trying to exercise and not beating myself up for. But it's about self-love. Mm -hmm. So the building blocks, think about building a house. I had focused in the book about the foundation and the house itself, but you got to put it on stable ground. You know, the Leaning Tower of Pisa, don't build on marshland or it's going to fall over. So the, the strong, stable ground is self-love. And that's as simple as believing that you're capable and believing that you deserve. So if you're going to go and pursue a better life, it's really hard to do if you don't think you can actually achieve it. And if you don't think you're deserving of it, because then all the self-sabotage comes in. So I work with people a lot on how to get more, um, and I know like some people get squeamish with the term self-love, you call it whatever you want, but that's what it is. Like having compassion for yourself and recognizing your capability and your deserving of a better life. Um, one simple thing that I tell people is an exercise I call stop the butt. So it's like, you know, we were talking about the people you surround yourself with. People are pretty negative and self-deprecating as a society. A lot of people are. One of the most common things is how we put ourselves down with not taking compliments or not taking positive feedback. If you don't believe me, go to someone's house and tell them that, you know, the food was good and you might get a thank you, but whether you do or not, the next thing you'll hear is always the same thing. Like, oh, I overcooked the chicken or yeah, but I didn't salt the vegetables enough or, oh, you know, this was under seasoned or that was over seasoned or the soup was cooked. It's like, you get, it's just pronounced thank you, you know? So as soon as you hear the word like, thank you, but I stop at that word, but in your mind and don't even speak it. Just say, thank you. Yeah. And if you can't um, so say, just allowing. yeah. And if you can't say thank you because you don't know how to accept a, you know, you can't just let mm -hmm. that be a two word sentence. Um, you can also just another pro tip here say, what did you like about it? Right. Um, yeah. so that you sort of don't end in that place where you have to say something awkward and you can just actually listen and receive and not go yeah. into all the ways that, you know, your food was wrong or your, your thing was wrong and just actually, you know, banter back and forth. Cause I, I know that's a yeah. practice for a lot of people just receiving a compliment. Yeah. You, I mean, there's a number of things you can do. You can say, that's very kind of you. You can say, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, there's someone in my family who will go nameless, but they're an extremely thoughtful person. They give great gifts. And before you've even opened the gift, they're telling you what it is and why you're going to hate it. And it's like, you haven't even given me a chance to appreciate it. And they're always wrong. It's like, can you just be quiet and let me have the gift and feel good about it? Like you've spoiled it before it's happened. Um, so yeah, just, just allowing, like that's a huge piece of it, allowing for capability and the deservingness. So that is the ground. Then it's the foundation of building. And that's, you know, what I talked about those feelings about my son and ultimately what it meant to me, that's about your motivation. And that's, you know, Simon Sinek talks about your why, and he's talking about it in a business context, but actually it applies to the self as well. It's, it's your reason. It's your purpose. It's the thing that when we say dig deep, that's what you're digging for. It's that underlying drive that will get you through anything and will push you to achieve what you really want to achieve. And so I pose a number of questions in the book. There's, there's one sort of sum it all up question is no matter what else is happening, what will you always care about? And this is a part where we were talking before about, you know, do you need one of these like big kind of hit you in the face type of, of uh, difficulties or can you get there through self-work and maybe support of those around you? Either way, the trick is whatever answer you come up with, uh, it's probably wrong. 
and, and by wrong, I mean, it's too service level. You really have to start to, it's like I said, like in the book I talk about as my son and maybe six months after the book came out, I was doing an interview or was being interviewed and the guy was like, all right, I got to call BS. You say it's your son, but your first point about true motivation is that it's something deep within you. And I know like as a father, like, yes, the feelings around your son are within you, but he's technically not. And so you're violating your own rules. And I was like, you know what? I could have just argued with him, but he's spot on. So my son is like, I had one more layer to dig deeper. Um, whether you want to call it like peeling back the layers of an onion or for the Shrek reference, we can call it a parfait because everybody loves parfait and nobody likes onions. Mm -hmm. But, but you know, the, the key is the same as like, whatever your first answer is, you got to ask why. And you had to keep going until you get down to that. Like it should almost bring you to tears. That's the level of power we're talking about. Cause it's got to get you through the toughest of challenges. So that's the foundation. And then the house is those goals. So I mentioned my weight goal. I had a specific measurable action oriented goal that I could track and see my progress on and adjust and all that. So it's got to be something that's really going to push you. So the first time was a hundred pounds. It wasn't five pounds because that's not actually going to change my life. Five pounds is an interim step, but the real goal was 100 pounds. But at the same time, if I set, I weighed um, somewhere around 270. If I set the goal of 300 pounds, that's, that's just a stupid goal because I'd die. So like, don't set a goal that's so astronomically absurd that you can't, you can't nor should you achieve it. You know, if you made a million dollars this year, next year's goal should not be a billion dollars. Because the only way you're going to get there is probably going to land you in jail. So like it's, it should push you. Maybe it's two, maybe it's three million. But don't be so absurd that, you know, it's just it's, it's equally pointless as making a million and one dollars would have been. Um, so that's that's the structure we're talking about. Now it's about the execution. And that's where do a day comes in. And there's two key words, do and day. The, the uh in the middle doesn't really matter. Um, day, I'll start with the second word. It's not about specifically a day. It's about the present moment. So do a day is about a mindful approach. So we live our lives caught up between two things, between the past. So we're judging ourselves for our missteps or for what someone did to us, or what we perceive that they did to us, or maybe it's something we've lost that we long for and we're stuck in that past or, or and actually, because both of these things tend to happen. We're also sitting here in fear or anticipation of the future, good or bad stuff. You know, when I had a hundred pounds to lose, that was so daunting. I never started. You know, I just, it was just too much. Cause all I could think about is, oh my God, it's a hundred pounds. And I bust my hump and I'd lose a pound and be like, oh my God, I sold 99 pounds. I can never do this. It's too much. How am I going to get, how am I going to get there? It doesn't matter. I'm not losing a hundred pounds right here, right now. And it doesn't matter if I didn't lose it yesterday. That has nothing to do with whether I can lose it and start to lose it now. So in each day, this present moment, we're going to do what we have to do in pursuit of those bigger goals and do is a verb. You know, it's not like just sit here and be better. Like, what is, I don't know what that means. You need to wake up every day or get into every present moment and take action in pursuit of your goals that will move you along. And ultimately what you find is you start winning little by little success starts leading to more success and it adds up. And that's why like, yeah, I hit those three goals. That wasn't the end of it. You know, I, I have achieved things as I look back over the past six, seven years that 90% of what I've, the big things I've achieved, it's not just that they were impossibilities before to me, they weren't even on my radar screen. Cause they're just like, they're absurd. It's not even worth thinking about, you know, and that, that's pretty cool. And that all comes from that execution focus of those real goals with that feeling of motivation and actually believing I can do these things. So a question that comes up a lot of times when, when we're in sort of this transformation by action arena, right. Is, um, how much a day is enough? How much a day is enough? Yes. And so, um, and I know that's going to be a wild, wildly pretty broad answer. Cause it, when, when I get asked that, I'm like, Ooh, that's a hard one. Um, yeah. but, but I, you know, there, there's a spectrum obviously of too little and then there's way too much and both become either non-motivating or not realistic. But how do you normally work yeah. through that objection when it comes up or that question? Yeah, uh, that's an interesting one. I haven't hit it. And I think it's part of how I structured the goal execution. So, you know, the hundred pounds or saving a million dollars, whatever it is, that's your big one. And there should be time to it. And so then you've got your time and your goal and you should be able to divide it down into bite-sized pieces. The marathon training is such a great example of how to actually put it into action because that has a very specific daily plan. 
And um, there are some days where that plan was a hell of a lot. And maybe there were a couple of days where it was too much relative to where my energy was. And so I was able to make a real time decision based on the bigger picture that, you know what, I'm supposed to go at this pace, but it's a hundred degrees out and I'm really tired. So actually I'd probably be worse off if I did that. So I'm going to scale back. So I, I had, I had my plan, but I had gotten so accustomed to execution at the right level of limit that I knew, okay, this is where I need to pull back. That comes with training, that comes with experience. But I do think if you structure the plan out, certainly for the first couple of years, I needed to rely on those plans pretty religiously because they guided me. Because there's times where, you know what, your mind wants to quit and your body knows better. And there's times where it's the other way around. But you need to be able to know what you're striving for and what, what success looks like for that day in support of those bigger goals. And then you know what? Sometimes you're not going to get there. And sometimes you're going to overperform. And when you don't get there, you don't like I deal with this with people who are on a weight loss journey. And they're like, you know, they're down 20 pounds and they're eating really well and they're feeling good about themselves. And then it's like Jimmy from accounting's 10th anniversary of the company. And I'll go to the bar and the person is like three nachos and a beer and runs home crying and eats two pizzas and a cheesecake and two liters of Coke or whatever. Um, and they're like, well, I threw everything away. You know, when I had those nachos and that beer, like I ruined everything. And so what's the point anymore? It's like, well, okay, put it in perspective. You actually didn't ruin anything with those nachos and beer. I bet you anything the next morning, you probably wouldn't weigh any more than you did already. Maybe a half a pound, probably not. Maybe it's just water retention because you weren't used to that, you know. But realistically, when you ruined everything was when you started judging yourself from the past. You know, you made that misstep and then you threw it away. So you overextended because of getting caught up in things instead of putting it in perspective. And you got people who are like, I was supposed to run three miles yesterday. I did four. So now I can have a gallon of ice cream and not run today. And not. it's like, look, whether you ran three or four or whatever yesterday is no longer relevant because it's done. What do you have to do today? You're not, you're not carrying a debt or, and that's where I used to say, I spent the first half of my life obese and the second half trying not to be. I don't say that anymore because a that's miserable. Like who wants to spend their life trying not to be obese and B it's all about like that bank, those deposits and withdrawals of like, did I do enough yesterday? Or did I not? And do I have to make up for it? And then you start obsessing about it. You start beating yourself up and you start feeling like you're a failure. No, it's like I spend my life doing everything I can today to be better. And you know what? That adds up pretty damn well. Absolutely. I mean, people get stuck exactly as you said, because they think, the skill is to to like stick with it, but more likely the skill that you really want to learn is how to start over again all the time, right? And if you if you practice that skill of just getting back on the horse, you fell off because we all fall off. We're human, right? But if you can get yeah. back on the horse every day, you're going to be all right. But if your whole success depends upon how long you've ridden the horse, at some yeah. point you're going to run into a problem. Yeah, and. And I, so I got into a, I wouldn't call it a Twitter battle, but a debate with, and I can't remember his name right now. It's a really interesting name. It's a, like a Navy SEAL or a Marine trainer. I forget exactly what he is, but he's this famous guy. Um, it's, I'm going to kick myself about not remembering his name, but I live in the moment, not in the past. So I won't actually kick myself. So was myself. it Jocko Willick? Yes. There that's we go. exactly what it is. Okay. <laughs> so Jocko's arguing. Thank you. I knew like his name is weird. So you might, you might know who he is. Um, so he's arguing that it's all grit and it's not motivation. And, uh, I have a friend who decided to put the two of us into this question on Twitter and, and Jocko responded and he's, I was like, you know, motivation, true motivation is really what does it. He's like, Nope, it's perseverance and grit willpower. And, um, I think actually we agree with each other, but not in those words. So if you think about his perspective, he lives in a world where you get a command and you follow that order and you know, the guys that he's trained are so committed and it, it seems like willpower and they will do anything to just get through that. I would argue actually willpower is a short-term thing that you can rely on now and then, but it's not going to get you through a lifetime. And those people who he's attributing willpower as their success factor to actually, they have such a strong motivation around their dedication, their delivery, their sense of duty to their country. There's, there's a motivation at play there that willpower is just operating above the surface on. So he sees it as willpower and he's not wrong. I just think there's still more to it under the surface that it's not his job to get, you know, um, like psychiatrist couch with them and start to pick them apart and understand what makes them tick. But I think that there's something under the surface there. 
So we disagreed at the surface level, but I think willpower, stick with it, whatever you want to call it. I think if that's all that you're really operating on, it will fizzle out. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's, I, w- I don't like the word motivation. I usually say purpose, right? Um, cause that, motiv- that's really what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Cause motivation comes and goes. I don't, I'm not motivated to go on this walk, but I have a driving purpose to do so. I'm going to go for this walk. Right. Um, and so motivation tends to be too much of an affect for me as opposed okay. to, but again, um, it doesn't matter. Like if you're getting up and doing the walk, like I think it's actually both in, in your, in your debate. Um, I think motivation without willpower won't get you very far. Um, because you will need that grit moment. Like you're going to have to do something hard and you could really, really want to do it. But if you don't really have the capability to dig in, you're not going to do it. Um, and even if you have the grit, if you don't have the direction for the grit, then. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's both and just knowing which is, which is the operative, um, thing for you in that moment. And that's the trick. Yeah, I think that's very fair. And and ultimately, a lot of this just boils down to word choice. We're talking about the same kind of drive. And and I, I, I think the word purpose is really good because that's ultimately what it's really about. And you get to call on a lot of other things to get there either way. What I don't like is um, the idea of just kind of grit your teeth and get through it. And it's not that you don't have to do that sometimes, but that's not a way to live your life. And that's kind of what I was doing before. So that's why I harp on the word do. It's a proactive word. It's a verb. So it's not like just bear down and weather the storm and zip up your coat and put up your hood. It's like, no, dude, take some action. Get out of the storm or put up your umbrella and start walking. Like work against that wind and get yourself through it. Don't just like huddle down until it's over. Um, And I think so many of us are actually just doing that in life. Just day in, day out, go through the job you hate, you know, go to bed exhausted. Don't talk to your partner, like whatever it is. You're just gritting your teeth and getting through. And that's kind of a worthless way to live your life. That's not living. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Um, back to this sort of place. Because it's important because I think a lot of people get stuck on this. Like, you know, they'll ask Jocko a lot. Like, how do I develop discipline? And he's like, just do the thing. Right. That's It's not a hard it's not hard to yeah. develop discipline. You do what you want to do and you do it enough until you don't need the discipline. Right. Um, yeah. but you know, if you don't have the, um, if you don't have the sort of mindfulness or presence or awareness to know, like, and you just use grit to everything, then you're going to make everything harder than it needs to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it has to be hard and you have to use grit to yeah. be successful. And I mean, it's the German proverb. What's the use of running fast if you're running down the wrong world, wrong road. Right. Um, but the other flip side of it is I think the, even on the motivation purpose camp, we forget that we can be motivated we can have the motivation, we can have the purpose. And sometimes things are just going to be hard, right? Just because you have yeah. a high level of motivation, it doesn't mean you're not going to have to get some elbow grease on it. So anyways, yeah, we're, we're, sure. so, we're sort of stuck sure. here, but you know, you know, listener, you know yourself, like if you need a little bit more motivation and clarity and purpose, then that, that's an arc you can take. But if you have what you need, and you just need to, you know, drop the people's elbow on something and start dropping the elbow, right? And the other way is true um, on, when it comes that way. Um, yeah. I'm curious on this one. So how does, like, do do a day differ from one day at a time? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's like just grit your teeth and get through it kind of mentality that I was just talking about. One day at a time, maybe some people think they mean the same thing, but to me it is the difference between taking action and just dealing with what's smacking you in the face. I don't like to be smacked in the face. I'd rather take action and change the game. So that's the difference to me. I'm not here to endure. I'll endure for a long run, but you know, my life, I'm not, I'm not interested in enduring my life. And that to me is what one day at a time is like, don't think about it. Just get through it. It'll be over eventually. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, life is more than just getting through. Uh, yeah, if you want it to be. It is unfortunate for a lot of people it's just getting through. Yeah. It just doesn't have to be that way. Absolutely. And so um, I'm going to ask a counter question. Um, what kinds of situation is do a day not a good fit for? Um, this sounds like a cop-out, and I swear it's not. I still haven't found it. What I found is people who aren't in the right place to apply it. I think it is pretty universal. Um, now what I will say is while I've been through a lot, uh, and I share most of it in in the book, not everything, it's not my autobiography. It's not for me to share every detail about my life. Um, there's a lot I haven't been through. So I almost lost my wife. I didn't lose my wife. And so for me, you know, that's an example where I was like, 
Yeah, I, I don't know firsthand how it would work out in that situation. But I have readers who've reached out to me who have been through that, who, you know, one of them, um, I had no idea he lost his wife until I got to know him better. He's this positive, inspiring person. Uh, you wouldn't know the tragedy he's been through. And the way it happened didn't need to happen. I mean, it wasn't just like, it's one thing if you're like 85 or 90, like there's a very good chance one of you will lose the other one at that point. Not when you're like 35 or 30. You know, I was 32 when I thought I was going to be alone. Um, so this guy has, he's gone through that approach. Now, I didn't have the book out yet, so he didn't know it, but he's like, I'm reading this. This is exactly what I'm doing. Like, this is how I live my life. And it's taken him a few years to get through it. And that's fine. But he now is a, he's in a group for widowers. He's one of the, like the facilitators of it now. So he's, he's paying it forward. Like he's paying it back whichever direction he's getting out there to try to help other people in the same situation because he realized like, it doesn't have to be the end of everything for you. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean you forget, but you can still have a life. And so he's getting married again. Like his life has gone on and that's a really beautiful thing. I, people who have been through cancer. Um, I ran the marathon for the Chicago marathon for St. Jude. And so I've been really um, blessed to work with some of their people and hear the stories firsthand of some of these kids and what they've been through and the families. Um, you know, as a father, I can't, I can't even imagine what that would be like. So I've seen a number of different situations secondhand now. And there are situations where I was like, maybe that's too much. And it hasn't been. Um, I talked to someone today who, uh, had three suicide attempts and, um, yeah, I mean, that's again, a situation where, and he's, he reached out to me cause he's thanking me for the book. And that to me is like, okay, that's another one where I haven't been through that and I don't know that it would work. So, so far I haven't come across it yet, but that, I feel like that sounds egotistical. I just, it's ignorance. I just don't know. I haven't seen anything. And every time I think like maybe this one's too much. Every day, at least since the book came out, someone has reached out to me with their story. And that's been pretty amazing. So I, I keep seeing it tested in different ways, either someone who's using it or someone who has used it to reflect on what they've been through and how they've gotten to where they're at. Um, that's why I wrote the book. It's not to sell books. It's to inspire, to help, to, to change. Um, so it's, it's proving out in that respect. So I just dodged your question very long windedly, <laughs> but that's, that's the truth. But I think it's actually tied to um, something you mentioned earlier. So you're republishing the book a year, um, you know, roughly a year after you, you publish it the first time. Um, what's different now that was either, you know, underemphasized or that you've learned anew that yeah. um, is, is prompting a, a reissue? So there's two things that really stood out to me. One is, and I knew this from the start, the parenting chapter. That's one of the situations where I, I give an example of how to do a day. Um, it's always felt too light to me. Um, I gave one example. It's, it was hard cause it's about, you know, the most important thing in my world. And it's not like everything else is about something specific to me. And this is about my son. So it's his life and my wife. And so I felt this burden of, it's not my right to be as open about his life as I am about my own. Um, but I feel like I'm not really getting there. It's the shortest chapter in the book, or I think so. Pretty sure it was. Um, but it's never, never sat right with me. And I recorded the audiobook and I did it myself, which was a terrible process. Like no one likes hearing their own voice. So imagine that for hours and hours on end. Um, when I recorded that one, I just walked away and I'm like, maybe this is all a mistake. Like yeah, I, I felt that much like it was short shrifting the, the concept. So um, I added another story that uh, I'm really not proud of. I failed pretty miserably. I scared my son and he did not deserve that. Um, I let my frustration and anger surface when he was like three or um, something like that, two or three. I don't remember exactly, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, that's one of the few things that I really carry through today that when I think about it, I'm incredibly ashamed um, and I deal with it and I work through it and I'm not judging myself today and I'm not a different, I'm not a worse father because of it. I don't go into other interactions with him with that negativity. I've used it as a source of this is how one of the ways I need to be better. Um, 
but that was a hard thing to talk about because I think I looked pretty horrible. Um, I wasn't abusive to him. I didn't, I mean, in a sense I was, but you know, I wasn't hitting him. I wasn't threatening his life or anything, but I was scary and no little kid needs that. Not, not from their parent. Um, so that was one thing. Uh, and then the other is, you know, I talked about that solid ground. I wrote the book. It's three sections. The first is like, here are all these life experiences where I've like my backstory. And then these places I've done a day use do a day to get through. And then the second is the building blocks is motivation and goals. And then the third is here's some specific applications for the things that up until the book came out were the main reasons people came to me, which is about like diet and exercise. And then one chapter sort of general since the book came out, it's been almost all career related and leadership, which is really interesting. Um, and I ended up writing for Inc magazine now as a result of that, which is pretty cool. But, um, I can't believe I didn't put in anything about self-love. And I think I took it for granted. Um, it, it was, it wasn't, um, I wasn't conscious of the gap, but it became blatantly obvious to me. So this is like my 95th, I think, interview, um, through the process of talking about it this many times, it's just so in my face. It's like, well, none of this matters if you just sit there thinking you're worthless or incapable. And so that was really important. And I, I wrote an article for Inc about it. So I, I had the gist of the ideas. Um, but I added that in and that's so, so that middle section is now three chapters long. That's the piece I'm most happy about. Cause I really feel like in hindsight, the book's incomplete, like the parenting thing, that's not okay, but there's plenty of other chapters. There's plenty of non-parents who read the book. So maybe they didn't, that doesn't even matter to them, but none of it matters without self-love. So, um, anyone who bought the ebook, you'll get the update anyway. I'm going to email my mailing list so that, and I'll send it around as PDF so they can all have it. I just want people to have the content. I don't care about the sales. Um, and luckily the book still sells. So I know going forward, they'll get the new content, but yeah, that's what's changed. And the journey behind the change, I just thought good timing. Yeah. Self-love is one of those things that like in every, in every place, especially, I mean, we have to look at it cause we're, you know, with, with our bodies of work, we're both on that very much, you know, get it done, you know, get out there, make things happen, sort of that side of things. Um, it's really easy for people to overlook the foundational pieces around, you know, self-love and self-acceptance and self-care and things like that. It's like, oh, once I do all this other stuff, then that's when I'll focus on that. Right. Uh, yeah. It's like, yeah. I don't, but what's really underneath that script at two, two or three levels is I don't deserve it until I do that. Yeah. Right. And um, so just be careful of that. If, you, if, if it's not one of those things, whether we call it self-love or self-compassion or things like that, it, it's really one of those things that skip it at your peril. Um, yeah. Because every tool, every, every sort of action system like this can become a tool for you for really negative self-judgment and really self-harm without you even knowing about it. Yeah, I 100% agree. So what's the most challengeable or challenging um, doing that you're doing today? Like what's what's the, the thing that's like, man, I'm really having to show up and, and do at a different <laughs> level than, than everything else? Um, there, I'm doing a lot. So I don't know if volume counts. Um, I still have a day job. It's an amazing job. It's very full. Um, I have the job I've been working towards throughout my whole professional career, which is fantastic. Um, but it's a lot. I travel a lot. I work a lot of hours. I'm a, a C-level executive in a financial services company, which is awesome. And I also wrote a book that I'm promoting very actively. And I'm still a father and a husband. And I'm trying to start my second book. I'm about 5,000 words in. Um, but I've been 5,000 words in for a little while and I have to write a column every week for ink. Um, it's all really good stuff and it's all things that I'm passionate about and that's why I'm able to get through it. But, um, it's a tough balance. I'm definitely grayer than I was a year ago. Um, except part of my head is beiger cause you can see more of my scalp now. But, um, so I, I'm worried that I'm burning too hard and uh, it's actually aging me. So that's not great, but, um, it's for good reasons, but there's some kind of end that has to come to all this. And, um, no matter which path wins out, it's all good stuff. But yeah, I'm in, I'm in this place right now where I'm coming up to a fork in the road and, um, 
it's a, it's a good problem to have. It's like, you know, applying to college and getting into all of your top choices. And then how do you figure out which one to go for? But I'm, I'm really enjoying the impact I'm having on people's lives right now and the way everything's building and the momentum there. So I'm very appreciative of it and it's a lot and I got to figure that out. Yeah. That, that's a hard one. Um, not saying you should read it, but if anyone's in the situation, um, Seth Godin's the dip really, really helped me yes. when I was in that yep. mode. So, um, and it's one of those things I have to read about every four or five years just because I'm like, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. Um, so, um, so yeah, and but congratulations on all the success. Like that's that's the type of problem you want to have, right? Um, totally. Yeah, and I'm not complaining about it, but I recognize it's a lot. Do you have? I'm just curious on this one. I, I know you know we need to be wrapping up, but do you have any particular tripwires that you know is an exit ramp for one of those things? Like when you hit X, you know that it's time, or your health. Like if you know that you reach a certain point, that it's like okay, yeah, something's got to go. Um, on the health thing, I think I need to be more, uh, more religious on saying no to things. Um, that's, that's my problem is I'm very interested in sharing the message. So I tend to say yes, but I, I need to make some tougher calls now. Um, I had no intention of doing this many interviews. It's been great and I love it, but it's a lot. Um, so I think, so to me, the, the, the pivot point, and I, I'm giving myself a fixed amount of time for this. The pivot point is whether there's enough momentum in this whole side of me, you know, that brought me to your show to sustain my family. And, um, for people who don't know, the average book sells 240 copies a year. So, um, and I make four or five bucks a copy at best, a lot less on the ebook. So luckily I make more than like $600 a year in my day job. But, um, you know, we've got to get over a little bit of a hump there for that to change. I, I think speaking is, is probably the path to that. Um, the reason I wrote the book is I love the coaching work I do. Even if I coach people 24 seven, I still wouldn't touch as many lives as I want to. And so the book is a way to scale that out. And if I coach people 24 seven, I still probably couldn't afford to support my family. And, you know, we still have some pretty serious medical bills and all that kind of stuff, um, to keep my wife stable. So speaking is a way to scale that up. Um, by the time this comes out, I will have done my first Ted talk. I have another one coming up. I thought it was May. I think they just moved it to June, but, um, so I'll have two Ted talks this year and a couple of other speaking engagements coming up. So we'll see if I get out of this year and it's like, all right, there's, there's stuff going here. Then I think I will have come to those cross that, that crossroads and it'll be time to think about a decision. Um, and if not, if I can keep moving on this path and maybe cut back on some of the interviews, then great. You know, I'll, I'll keep doing it for a while, but I need to be more mindful in how much I talk about all that mindfulness myself. Well, I do appreciate you saying, appreciate you saying yes to this show. So thanks for that. Yes. Even if you need to say no in the future. Um, so based upon everything we've talked about in this show um, or in this particular episode and, and you being the guest, you get to leave our listeners with a challenge or an invitation, depending upon um, what most resonates with you. So what would you invite or challenge our listeners to do based upon the conversation we've had today? Um, I think it'd be irresponsible to move past anything but the first step. So it's that self-love step. So I challenge you to, to stop the butt. Really look at your words and your thoughts and see where you're not allowing for the possibility that you can be better and you deserve to be better. And just let it be. Um, and, and maybe, maybe you need to alert some of the people closest to you that you want to do this and get their help in it and tell them to be relentless and ruthless about it. But once you get that fixed and it takes a little bit of practice, but you will get there. Once you start altering your mindset about yourself, then the door opens and then it's up to you to build from there. But I, that's where I challenge everyone is just get the start on, on that self-love piece. And then the rest is up to you. Brian, it's been fantastic to talk to you today. So thanks so much for joining us. That was my pleasure, Charlie. It's was, it was great. All righty. So you heard it from Brian, listeners. What can you do to kick the butts in the butt? Um, and so I challenge you for three days or I invite you for three days, just a three-day period to just resist the urge to butt or to push the gift of a compliment away. And even if you can't do that in the moment. Count how many times you do it a day and keep up with it. How many times did you refuse a gift today? 
And just be aware of that, because every time you do that, that was an opportunity for you to receive some love that you did not. Until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to Productive Flourishing. To get more resources that will help you finish the work that matters and be your best self in the world, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. If this episode warmed your heart or got your wheels turning, we'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review for the podcast on iTunes. 